Good morning. Welcome to Maranatha Bible Church once again. Uh, you just heard Todd uh, preaching our normal Sunday s service. Uh, what a blessing that was from Isaiah. As you know, the last two weeks we've done the service uh, live stream from the, the pulpit in the auditorium. We've decided to do it this way, as Todd uh, mentioned, so that we don't have to have anybody else in the building. So um, welcome. This is the first time I think we've ever done our equipping hour live stream. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. I'm going to try to use the PowerPoint. I don't know how it's going to work, but we'll give it a shot, okay? Well, before we get started, though, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. As, as Todd has already mentioned, it's been kind of uh, rough for all of us probably being uh, home, not being able to get together and, and fellowship with one another at, as a body at Maranatha, and that uh, begins to take a toll on us. We just want to uh, be mindful of those who are um, maybe, maybe lonely at this time. We could reach out to them. Um, call. I've called several people. I've texted several people. Just uh, be sure to be engaging with the body of Christ. We want to just um, be showing the one another's to everybody here at Maranatha. So uh, before we get started, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we do come before you this morning just thanking you for the opportunity we have uh, to um, worship you. Lord, no matter uh, what happens to us or to what's going on in this world, we know that you are sovereign, uh, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that you care for each of us more than we can ever even imagine. And Lord, we know that you are in control of all things. Uh, we thank you for that. Thank you that we're able to um, use this technology to be able to listen to uh, Pastor Todd and um, to teach our equipping hours and just to, at some level, be able to um, hear that the teaching and uh, preaching of your word. It's such a blessing to be able to do that. And I pray now that as we um, go into our equipping hour class, that you be glorified through what's taught here today. As we look at the subject of evangelism, uh, that we're reminded of the importance of um, being about evangelism. We love you, Lord, and we give this entire class over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I said, uh, the last three times we, we met for our equipping hour class, we were talking about apologetics. That's the, the top topic we've been on. And then we missed the last two weeks. And this week, we've, um, began, we're going to begin on evangelism. We weren't able to um, finish up all of apologetics, and we were going to kind of tie apologetics into evangelism as we came to this last week, but uh, we weren't able to. So today, we're just going to focus primarily on evangelism. Now, uh, we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. If you've been coming to Maranatha since 2017, uh, perhaps you've been in my classes. Uh, one of my classes that I did probably my first month I was here was a six-week class or five-week class on evangelism. And then last year when Matt Hilbert was teaching through uh, disciplines, I taught the last class on evangelism. So uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to see today is pulled from those lessons. Those are, were robust in evangelism, so we're going to kind of talk about those issues. We'll, we'll bring it down to the basics, but that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give uh, a breakdown of uh, a kind of a review of what we talked about the last few weeks. So we'll talk about apologetics. The first week we met together, we dealt with the definition and history of apologetics. We, we said... In, a, in defining apologetics, apologetics does not mean, uh, contrary to a belief, 
that it might mean saying you're sorry. Apologetics it does not mean saying you're sorry. The Greek word apologia means giving a defense. So when talking about the Christian faith, when we're discussing apologetics, we're talking about giving a defense for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. That's apologetics in, in the Christian context. And then we discussed the history of apologetics. We went all the way back and we looked at even the Old Testament and saw how um, those Old Testament believers were apologetic in their, their belief about Yahweh. And we came to Jesus and we looked at the apologetics of Jesus and we looked at the apostles and saw the apologetics of the apostles and we went to the early church fathers and we went right down the line and we, and we saw that many of the early church fathers in their apologetics they were rather, how do I say, they pulled from Greek philosophy or uh, Greek logic. They, they pulled heavily from that. And they held Greek philosophy and human logic and reason, as it were, they held those above Scripture. And we saw that there were a few in the early church who were presuppositional in their apologetics, like uh, Tertullian. Uh, these men held firmly that Scripture was superior and we need to hold to Scripture as um, our, our presupposition, that that's our standard. And then we went all the way up to the Reformation. We saw at the Reformation, a big change took place. And they were saying scripture alone. So we saw a big surge in presuppositional apologetics at the Reformation. And it came all the way up to our modern day. And we discussed men like Cornelius Van Til. He's presuppositional. Uh, Greg Bonson is presuppositional. He was presuppositional in his apologetics. And then we talked about individuals like R.C. Sproul or William Lane Craig, who are not presuppositional, but rather they're traditional or classical in their presuppositions, where they would say Scripture is not primary in apologetics, but you need to use human logic and human reason first and, and argue with that and to bring the individual up to Scripture and then go from Scripture, use Scripture once you get there. But they don't start with Scripture. And we said, that's not where we want to be. We want to be presuppositional in our apologetics. So that was the first week. And then the second week, we looked at the so-called problem of evil. The, the problem of evil. And we said that when dealing with this, this problem of evil that the atheists or the unbelievers in general will, will bring up, there's really no problem for God. We said that when we're dealing with this, we need to be sure that we as Christians, that we control the definitions of good and evil. What is good? What is evil? Well, we're Christians. We have the standard, uh, the objective standard right here in Scripture. That's where we get our definitions for good and evil. We don't allow the unbeliever to define these terms. Those who control the definitions control the argument. And we want to go back to Scripture and use Scripture for our definition of good and evil. We also said that when dealing with this problem, the so-called problem of evil, we need to be sure that we don't allow the atheist or the unbeliever to put God in their mold. And when I say that, I mean they say God that, only, that God really only has two attributes. They'll say that God is all-loving and he's all-powerful. Therefore, if evil exists, God can't be all-loving and all-powerful. Well, the, the problem is, yes, God is all-loving. God is all-powerful, but he's much, much more than that. He's also a God of judgment. He's also a God of wrath. So we have to be sure to include all of God's attributes in our view of God, not just his love and his goodness. And when we do that, 
when we control the definitions of good and evil, and we control what God is like based on Scripture, then there's no problem of evil. It's the problem, the onus of the problem lies on the unbeliever. So that's what we looked at the second week. Then our third week, we looked at the reliability of Scripture in apologetics. And we, we asked the question, where did Scripture come from? And we said, ultimately, Scripture came from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired of God. And we said that word, inspired of God, is theopanoustos in the Greek. And it means literally God breathed. So God's word came ultimately from him. It's his word. That's why we call it God's word. It came from him. It's God breathed. We said that he used men. He used Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, and we could go on. He used these men without violating their personality, without violating their culture, without violating their language. He used them to write, to put his word in written form. So we looked at that. And then we, we looked at how the canon actually came about, this, this whole one unit, how it came about as a book. And we said that it was important to remember that God created the canon. Man didn't create the canon. Man didn't determine what was going to be in the canon. The only thing man did was recognize the canon that was already created by God. You see, when John penned the last word of Revelation, the canon was complete. So then men just recognized which ones were in and which ones were out of the canon that was already completed. So that's what we looked at the second week. And then we looked at how should the Christian view Scripture when it comes to apologetics. And we said that as Christians, we should view Scripture as primary. In our apologetics, it's primary. It's not secondary. As I said, many individuals say that Scripture is secondary. You need to use human reason or human logic to argue a person to the point where uh, they believe in Scripture. And we say, no, no, no. We start with Scripture. Scripture is primary in our apologetics. So we, we looked at that. And then the third thing we looked at uh, week three was how can we explain why we believe the Bible to be true? And we said, well, <clears throat> there are several different ways we can do this. And one of them was uh, fulfilled prophecy. We look at fulfilled prophecy. That's one way we can explain why we believe the Bible to be true. And there are several other areas we looked at. So that's pretty much a synopsis of what we covered those first three weeks. And then we were going to jump into um, the gospel in apologetics and bring apologetics into uh, uh, union with evangelism. And then our last class was going to be primarily evangelism. And that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to look at evangelism. So... With all that being said, I want to ask you one question. What do you think of when you think of evangelism? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Many people have different ideas of what evangelism is. And when I said that word, many of you right now were thinking of, of, of different situations. Some of you were thinking of, I mean, maybe some of you from a different generation, I want to be careful there, but some of you were thinking of perhaps Billy Graham crusades where thousands of people gather together and Billy Graham would get up and he would preach the gospel. Some of you thought of that when I said evangelism. Some of you from maybe a more recent generation thought of perhaps TV shows like Way of the Master where Ray Comfort goes out and, and Kirk Cameron, they go out in Santa, in Santa Monica and they, they share the gospel with people on the pier. Maybe you thought of that when I said evangelism. Maybe you think of day camp here at Maranatha Bible Church. We have hundreds of kids 
children who come here for two weeks in the summer and they hear the gospel. Maybe that's what you think of. Or flag football. We have lots of guys who come here um, in October and they'll hear the gospel preached. They'll get a good meal, breakfast and lunch, they'll hear the gospel. Another idea you might have had was door to door. We did that uh, previously. We went door to door and we talked to people, shared the gospel with them. Or you think of the nursing home or Edison Manor. We go there, uh, I preach a sermon, we also talk with individuals and maybe have the opportunity to share the gospel. So all those are different things that may come to your mind when I say the word evangelism. But what we need to be very careful of is that we don't define these events as evangelism, and that's it. Say, we're only doing evangelism when we go to these events. You see, there has to be a, a definition that's different than that. What we want is we want a, a church that has a culture of evangelism. You see, you're, you're a believer. You're born again. And you should be an individual who is about evangelism. It should be something you're doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's just something you do when the opportunity comes about. It's, now, evangelism may happen at these events, but we don't want to fall into the trap of defining evangelism as only these events. Okay? So that's, that just needs to be clear. Now, with all that being said, we need to look at the basics. Let's go back to the nuts and bolts of evangelism and say, what does that word even mean? What does the word evangelism even mean? What's the Greek word? Well, the Greek word for evangelism is interesting because what it is, is it's the verb form of the word for gospel. Isn't that great? Evangelism is actually doing the gospel. It's putting action to the gospel. So that's what evangelism is. It's, it's doing the gospel. Now, if that's the case, the gospel means good news. Because what you're doing when you're sharing the gospel is you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, right? That Jesus Christ came to earth, he paid the price for our sin, dying on the cross, rising again the third day, according to the scriptures, that if we'll repent and trust in him, we'll be born again. We'll be removed from the wrath of God. And that's good news. So if it's such good news, why do so many of us shy away from it? Why don't we do it more? Why, why aren't we engaged in evangelism on a more regular basis? I would say the bottom line there is fear of man. That's the bottom line. Now, there are many different specifics we could look at. So let's look at a few other specifics of why we don't evangelize more. But I would say that the bottom line, the big one, is the fear of man. But also, we see that individuals will say they don't evangelize because they don't know enough of the Bible. I'm afraid to evangelize because if I'm talking to whoever it might be, whether it be a family member or someone on the street, I'm afraid to evangelize because I don't know enough of the Bible. What if they bring up one of those hard questions? Well, what if they bring up the question about the problem of evil? Well, you know how to deal with that one already. But seriously, the, the issue is you don't need to know all the Bible. Nobody knows all of the Bible. Well, all of us would always say, well, I don't know enough of the Bible. But what you need to know is you need to know the gospel. You need to know the good news, and you need to be able to articulate the good news and explain the good news to somebody so that when they bring up one of those hard questions, you could say to them, that's a great question, and I, I would love to answer that. If you'd let me do some research on that and get back to you, I'd love to answer that for you, but let's go back to this. 
Because 99.9% of the time, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they bring up one of those hard questions, it's because they're trying to deflect the conversation away from their sin. Perhaps you were talking about their sinful condition and you were dealing with that and you were, you were pushing, pushing a little too hard and so they threw one of these hard questions at you. That's okay. Just go back. Keep bringing it back to that. If you know the gospel, those hard questions are not hard at all. They're not an issue. Now, if you do know them and you think they're legitimately asking this question, by all means, try to answer it. But don't let you not knowing enough of the Bible keep you from evangelism. Know the gospel and do evangelism. So that's one thing. Another thing would be, um, they'll say people will think that we're strange. People will reject us. They'll think that I'm a strange person if I, if I do that, and I just I can't have that. Well, you know what? There are probably a lot of people will think you're strange. They'll think you're odd. I'll give you an example of this keeping me from doing it. I've probably told this story before, but when I was in California, I would go every Friday night with uh, Stuart Scott, who was uh, Ray Comfort's cameraman. We would go every Friday night to a movie theater. It's right here. This is where we were to a movie theater near his house. And it's different in California. You have the people all gathered outside, uh, just you know, walking around, getting their tickets, talking. So we would go there, and we would do open-air evangelism there. And it wasn't you know, screaming at people. It was standing up there, asking questions, and inviting people to come over. And then they would always come over and talk with us. But I remember there was two weeks where he was going to be gone. And he wanted me to do it on my own. I was terrified. I remember getting there the first week. I brought my son, Brian, with me. And we'd go, I went there the first week. And I remember setting up everything, setting up the little stool, and standing up on the stool with all these people out there and just staring at them. I couldn't say anything. I was terrified. Just looking at him thinking, oh man, Scotty's not here. I couldn't do it. So I got down, I prayed, I stood up there, I couldn't do it. So that first week, I didn't do it. I just was there. I was handing out tracts, but I couldn't get up and share the gospel. Well, the next week I came back, and I prayed that week, and I was just praying, and I was in the Word, and I got there, and I stood up on that box, and I just opened my mouth, and I shared the gospel. And it wasn't as terrifying as I thought it was going to be. You see, the fear of man is a snare, and it's a lie also, because that fear, yeah, sure, sometimes you'll get people who will mock you and, and yell at you, but you know what? Oh well, you just you keep going, you keep sharing the gospel in a loving way. You gotta overcome that fear of man and fear God. So that's that's another way, another reason we don't share the gospel. Another one is we might say the method scares us. We don't want to do it this way. That's fine. You don't have to do it this way. But I've had people tell me before, especially with this kind of evangelism, they'd say, Joe, I just don't like the way you're doing it. I'd say that's great. That's that's fine how are you doing it? And they'll very often say, well, I'm not doing it right now. And I would say, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. So don't let the method scare you. Find a method that works for you. Don't compromise the message. But the method, don't worry about the method. You just have a, a clear message, a gospel message. And then the last reason this, that I've put up here, there's other reasons, but the last reason is because of the seriousness of the message. This is a serious thing we're doing here. We're talking about matters of, of, etern of eternal life or death. These are serious things, and we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to leave something out. 
So this can keep us from sharing the gospel. Now, as we move on to the rest of this class, I want us to spend the rest of our time looking at three things to help us move away from these, these fear-based inclinations, because that's basically what they are. They're fear-based. I want us to move away from them and move towards a biblical understanding of evangelism. So we're just going to look at three things today, okay, for the, re with the rest of our time. We're going to see that evangelism is expected of the Christian. We'll see that evangelism is empowered by God to do it. And then we'll see, thirdly, that evangelism is a discipline. It's something you have to discipline yourself to do. It doesn't just happen. So it's expected, it's empowered, and it's a discipline. So let's, let's, let's go ahead and look at the first one. The first one, as I said, is that evangelism is expected. Now, someone might say, well, how do you know it's expected, Joe? How do you know evangelism is expected of the Christian? Well, we go to Scripture, and we see several instances, specifically when Jesus is talking to the apostles at the end of his ministry, he says this in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we could also go to Mark. I mean, we could look at all these. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, and he, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not believed shall be condemned. And then we could, we could look at Luke, we could look at John, but I want to point to the book of Acts also. And we see it here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So evangelism is expected and it's commanded. It's, it's commanded of us in the, in the Gospels. Now, I understand some people might say, well, Joe, those passages right there, those are only for the apostles. Those aren't for us. Well, that's, that's ridiculous because the apostles could never come to America. The apostles could never come to Michigan or Grand Rapids or Comstock Park or Westgate or your house. You see, even though it's true, the Lord's talking to the apostles here. This is for all of us. Now, someone might say, well, if you look at Ephesians 4, 11, it says that some are, are gifted for evangelism. They have that gift. So that lets me off the hook as well. Now, it's true. Some are gifted more than others in evangelism. But that doesn't negate the fact that we're all called to be witnesses for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all called to that. We're all called to be witnesses. Evangelism is expected of the Christian. Now, the next thing I want to point out, I know that's, that's a little heavy. We hear that and we're like, wow, that's heavy. But be encouraged because not only is evangelism expected of the Christian, but evangelism is empowered. Evangelism is empowered by the Holy Spirit for us to, to do evangelism. Acts 1.8, we saw that. It says, it is, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, and you're empowered for evangelism. You say, well, what is the, what's the evidence of that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are gone. Behold, all things have become new. So this transformed life that you live now that you're a Christian is evidence that you're empowered to do evangelism. That's an amazing, amazing truth. Now, with that being said, the fact that you're empowered and the evidence is a transformed life, what is the ideal form of evangelism? When I say form, I just mean, let me give you an example. Is it ideal to... Go speak to individuals that you'll maybe never see anymore, share the gospel with them, and move on. Or to share the gospel with somebody that you can pour into. You share the gospel with them when you meet them, and then you pour into them over a long period of time, and you begin to disciple them. So, so what is the ideal form of evangelism? Well, obviously, the ideal form is to do it when you can pour into them long term. But that doesn't mean we don't do, I like to call it cold evangelism, where we just speak to people, strangers, and share the gospel with them. Because what are you doing when you're sharing the gospel with strangers? You're either planting a seed, or you're watering a seed that's, that hasn't been planted. So don't let, don't use the, you know, saying, well, I need to have life-on-life -life evangelism, so I'm not going to do cold evangelism because that's not as important. Don't use that as an excuse. They're both important. We need to be doing both. And if you're able to pour into that person over a long period of time, that's wonderful. Of course, do that. Be pouring into them. But if you're not, don't let that keep you from sharing the gospel with a stranger. We need to be doing both. And we're empowered to do that. Now, I want to point out a few things that I've heard also over the years of people that say they shared the gospel but then they tell me what they've done, and I say, well, that's not sharing the gospel. I want to just look at a few of those, those instances before we move on. So what is not sharing the gospel? Well, first of all, inviting someone to church. Is that a good thing? It's an awesome thing. We want to be inviting people to church. But don't deceive yourself in thinking since you invited somebody to church that you shared the gospel with them because you didn't. You invited them to church. Now, will they perhaps hear the gospel at church? Maybe. And maybe a friend of yours will share it, or the pastor will, will share the gospel, or, some, or you'll share it with them at lunchtime. But don't just think inviting them to church was sharing the gospel. Okay? Another one. This is a big one here. This is a very big one. I've been yelled at over this one as well. Sharing your testimony. Sharing your testimony is not sharing the gospel. I'm glad there's nobody here because they'd probably be throwing tomatoes at me right now, or worse. But let me explain. Sharing your testimony is a good thing. It's an encouraging thing for believers. But if you don't incorporate the gospel into your testimony, you haven't shared the gospel. I remember another time when I was out doing open air in California, and I brought a friend with me, someone from seminary. He wanted to come along, so we went along. And we got there. And over the course of the night, I had a, a group of people come up, and I shared the gospel with them, and I left. Uh, I moved aside, and then another group came up, and it was his turn. So he stood up there, and he 
shared his testimony with this group of people, but he didn't share the gospel. And so when he got done, my friend Scotty was very gentle and very kind and just tried to help him and say, hey, that was a great testimony. Um, maybe try, as you're talking about how you were, talk about sin and talk about these things to bring the gospel into it. And he explained this to him. And on the ride home, he was very quiet. And the next Monday, I think it was, at seminary, this guy went off on me. He was so mad at me. He's like, how dare you tell me I wasn't sharing the gospel and this and that. And he was very upset with me. But honestly, he did not share the gospel. He just shared his testimony without incorporating the gospel into it. And it's, it, it, people, that's, that's attractive to people because a lot of times in their testimony, they don't have to talk about sin, the other people's sin. They can just talk in general terms. So it's, it's attractive. Don't get me wrong. Telling your testimony is a great thing. It's an encouraging thing. But don't be deceived in thinking that telling your testimony is the gospel if you don't incorporate the gospel. All right, another one. This is a big one too. Praying for someone. Praying for someone is not the gospel. You haven't shared the gospel if you've prayed for somebody. Do you want to pray for people? Of course you do. Do you want to pray for them before you share the gospel with them? Of course you do. You want to pray for them, have someone praying for you while you're sharing the gospel? All these things are true. You want to be praying, but that's not sharing the gospel. And then the last thing. I mean, there's more we could talk about, but the last thing I'm going to point out is trying to live a holy life before unbelievers. As we said, you, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to evangelize. So you are, you are living a transformed life. You should be living a transformed life in front of people. But that is not sharing the gospel. You need to have words. You need to speak the words of the gospel to share the gospel and live the transformed life. You want both of them working together. So, as I said, none of these things are bad things. But they're not, in and of themselves, sharing the gospel. Now, to be successful in sharing the gospel, there are some aspects that need to be present. So let's look at those. What needs to be present when we're sharing the true gospel? First of all, you need to make sure you're talking about the holiness of God. The individual that you're talking with, you're sharing the gospel with, they need to understand that God is holy. They need to understand that they're going to be judged. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. They need to understand that they're going to be judged. And they will be judged by a holy, perfect God. And they need to understand that His holy, perfect standard is right here. It's the Word of God. So this is what they'll be judged by. They'll be judged by God's Word, by God's law. We need to make sure they understand that. We don't want to move too quickly past the holiness of God. They need to grasp how holy God is, how perfect His standards are, and that for them to be with Him, they are required to be perfect. They need to understand that. So don't move past too quickly the holiness of God. That needs to be present in your, your gospel presentation. Secondly, the sinfulness of man. They need to understand that, yes, they are held accountable to God's holy law. And they need to see that they fall horribly short of God's holy law. And go to the law and show them that. I mean, we can say, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true. But you want to get specific when talking about their sinful state. They need to see their dire need. Not that you don't want to spread it out over everybody and say, ah, oh, we all sin. Even though that's true, you need to get specific. You need to show them God's law. 
They're going to be judged by God's law. Rome, uh, what we just looked at in Hebrews, Hebrews 9.27, they're going to be judged, and they're going to be judged according to God's law. So let's look at God's law. Let's see how you're going to do. We look at God's law. Have you ever lied? Well, yes, I've lied. Well, what does that make you? They may say various things, but what you're trying to get at is you want them to tell you that they are a liar. You don't call them that. You want them to tell you that they're a liar. Or they've stolen something. They'll, they'll tell you, well, then I'm a thief. Okay, have you ever had a lustful thought? Yes, I have. Well, Matthew 5 tells us, Jesus tells us if you've done that, in his eyes you've already committed adultery. So, and you just keep showing them this. You show them their sin, and you let them tell you that they're a lying, thieving, adulterous, murderer at heart, and they've got to face God on Judgment Day. They need to see, I can't emphasize this enough, they need to see their dire condition. Before we go to the gospel, they need to see why they need the gospel. This is the part right here where so many people leave it off. They don't press in on the individual sinfulness. But that's what they need to hear. That's what they need. Galatians tells us the law of God is our schoolmaster to do what? To lead us to Christ. So we need to point to the law. Point them to their sinful condition. So talk about the holiness of God. Talk about the, the sinfulness of man. And by the way, it's not just, they don't, they're not a sinner because they sin. need to make this clear. But they sin because they're a sinner. So it's deeper than just what they do. It's who they are. It's their nature. They're children of wrath. And so they need to see how desperately they need this. And then, once they see that, once they acknowledge it and say, you know what? That's true. I'm condemned and I'm concerned about that. Then you move on. But don't move on before that. The temptation is to move to the gospel quickly. Why? You're not doing them any good. You're just, you're not doing them any good. They need to see the serious nature. And once they do, once they acknowledge that, then you move on and you point out the penal substitutionary nature of the death, burial, and resurrection. And when I say that, I mean the, the nature of the res, of death, burial, and resurrection is that it was a, a substitute. Christ was a substitute for us. He paid the price. He took our penalty, as it were, on his shoulders. And he paid the price that we owed in our sinful, wretched condition. He took it on himself. Explain that to them. Share the gospel. Show how he came to earth. He took this punishment. He died on the cross. He said, it is finished. But then he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death. Praise the Lord. Show them that. But don't leave them there either. And then show them that next they must repent. They must turn from their sins. They've got to see their sin the way God sees it. They must have a hatred. They must, have a, 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 they must loathe their sin. If they don't hate their sin, they haven't truly repented. They have to have a, a heart of repentance, a, a brokenness, and then they turn and they trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, and they're born again. Those things need to be included in your presentation. Maybe not the same way I just did it, but make sure they're included. Don't leave those out. If you leave those out, you, you haven't presented the full gospel. So make sure you're doing that. Don't miss the message because not only are we empowered to give the gospel, but the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation, right? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the message itself is empowered, so don't get the message wrong. Preach the true gospel. Now, I said a few minutes ago, before I started this, I guess, 
tirade. Sorry about that. But I said we want to make sure our, our we're, we're successful in our evangelism. Well, let's talk about that a minute. What exactly is successful evangelism? Is successful evangelism when somebody gets saved and they come to Christ? Well, I would say absolutely we want that. That's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for someone to come to know Christ. We want them to be saved. But if that's the definition of successful evangelism, then we fail most of the time. We fail most of the time because most of the time people are not getting saved when we, preach, when we share the gospel with them. So that's not the definition of successful evangelism. Successful evangelism is evangelizing with a message that's the right message. Doing it faithfully. Giving a clear gospel presentation. That's successful evangelism. As you all know, you can't save anybody. That should take a load off your shoulders. God saves people. All we're called to do is share the gospel to the lost world. That's it. And when you do that, you're being successful. Don't worry about numbers. Don't worry about this or that. You just share the gospel. Be faithful. Have a loving heart for people, desiring to reach them with the gospel. But don't get you know, discouraged or whatever if they don't come to Christ. You just share the gospel. That's successful evangelism. All right. Let's finish up here. So we've seen that Evangelism is expected. Evangelism is empowered. And now we're going to see that evangelism is actually a discipline. It's a discipline. It's not going to just happen. We can't expect God to just bring people to us. We've got to be disciplined, just like everything else. We've got to be disciplined to read our Bible. We've got to be disciplined to pray. We've got to be disciplined to fellowship with fellow believers. And we've got to be disciplined in our evangelism. We must make it a point to get out and do evangelism in our homes, in our neighborhoods, the places we go. Just be about the business of evangelism. It is a discipline. And the more you discipline yourself to do it, I guarantee the more encouraged you'll be. Every time you go out and you evangelize with somebody, it's encouraging. It's just encouraging to know that you've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. It's a blessing. So be about the business of evangelism. Discipline yourself to do it. All right, let me give you, as we close here, I just want to give you some, some ways that we can be intentional in disciplining ourselves. Just a few things here. Uh, the list will be up in here. I don't know if, you, if the PowerPoint's been working at all, if you can see it. We just wanted to try it and see if it worked this time. Um, so I'm going to put each of these up here. If you can't read them, I can give you some of my uh, notes. But these are some of the things I just want to point to and how we can discipline ourselves to be more evangelistic. First of all, invite an unbelieving neighbor out for dinner. If you have an, a neighbor that's not a believer, you know, get to know them a little bit. Invite them, invite them over to your house for dinner or go out for dinner, but over to your house would probably be better. Um, get to know them a little bit. Share the gospel with them. That's one way. Another way is get to know the regulars at your wherever you go. If you go to a certain coffee shop or a restaurant on a regular basis, a grocery store, get to know those individuals. Ask their name. You'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Be intentional. Think about these things. Another idea would be take food or a housewarming gift to new people who move into your neighborhood. Similar to the first one, but take a housewarming gift. Write a little letter in there. Um, get to know them a little bit. Share the gospel with them. That's another idea.
Okay, another one. Invite unbelieving co-workers out for lunch. You'll be able to talk with them. Maybe somebody you've never talked to really before. Just go up to them, ask them if they want to go out for lunch. If they do, you tell them you're paying. They'll probably go then. Get to know them a little bit. Share the gospel with them. There's, all these are great opportunities to, to get involved with the people you, you're around all the time. Another one? Here's one. Be intentional in seeking out visitors at church. Because believe it or not, there are people who come to Maranatha Bible Church who may not be Christians. Believe it or not. Invite them out for lunch. Get to know them a little bit. And perhaps you'll find quickly that they're not believers. But they're, they're, they're searching. They want to know. Share the gospel with them. Pour into their lives. Another one? Get involved. This is get involved in outreach ministry at church. As I said, these events... You shouldn't define these events as only these events are evangelism, but get involved in day camp. There's many opportunities to share the gospel with these kids. Even if you're just walking around, helping out in certain areas, you'll have plenty of opportunities to share the gospel. Get involved in day camp. Get involved in flag football. You can talk to these men, rub shoulders with them, share the gospel with them. Get involved in the Edison Manor outreach. Yeah, you say, well, aren't those, aren't, isn't everybody that goes there Christians? Maybe not. Get to know these individuals. Share the gospel with them. Tell them, you know, just tell them the gospel. Um, you know, there's, there's many different opportunities for you to do that here at Maranatha. Also, in your workplace, just get involved. Now, for our current situation, I understand with the coronavirus and everything that's going on, maybe try this. Maybe think of an unsaved family member or an unsaved friend and write a letter to them. Ask them how they're doing. Tell them you've been thinking about them. You haven't, maybe someone you haven't talked to since you've been saved. A friend that you had, you had before you were saved, you got saved and things kind of just split apart. Write a letter to them. Ask them how they're doing in this, this time. Tell them, you, tell them you're praying for them. And share the gospel with them. That's a wonderful way to do it. So this is just some ideas. I'm sure you can come up with other ideas. Um, but those are just some ideas to get you thinking about the, the business of evangelism. It should be a part of who you are. We should be constantly thinking about it when we're going about our day. So let's be sure that we're doing that. Okay? So that ends our, our, our class on apologetics and evangelism. I hope they were helpful classes. I know the first two classes were pretty, uh, were pretty thick. There was a lot of information there and some of it, it you know, maybe we're just, I was just reading some of it because there's a lot of information that was, could be helpful. So I would encourage you to go back and look at those notes. And um, I just, I hope this class was beneficial. I'm sorry we didn't have those two classes in the middle to continue, but um, in seven more years, we'll do it again, Lord willing, if I'm still here. So um, God bless. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for, once again, Maranatha Bible Church. We thank you for the opportunity we have to um, come together when we're able to. And right now, we, we just are reminded of that privilege. And Lord, as we talk about the, the, the subject of evangelism, we're just reminded of the importance of it right now during this um, season, during this um, outbreak of coronavirus. We're, we're reminded of the importance of being about the business of evangelism. Help us not to forget that it's, ex it's expected of us. Help us not to forget that we're empowered to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that is a discipline. We must discipline ourselves to be, be, be doing this. We love you now, and we give this entire day over to you, asking that you'd be glorified. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a wonderful evening, and 
like, like Todd said, make sure you let any of us elders know if you have any needs. Uh, we'll be continuing to call you throughout the week. And um, God bless. Bye-bye.